You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, we're at episode 52, which you would think actually means that we've been doing this for a year, but not quite. I think we dropped a few episodes first week. So we're almost at a year, which is so cool. Also, if you're not yet signed up for my mailing list, I have no idea what you're waiting for because literally every single week I send tips, journal prompts, just like different ways to think about things that if you're serious about this being your journey, then I would encourage you to do that. Plus, I'm kind of funny there too. So (laughs) win-win. Anyways, so episode 52, we're talking with Gianna Mahalik. She is a gut health nutritionist. A lot of times when you would go to somebody who is a gut health nutritionist, it's usually, you know, well, I'll just speak for Gianna. She works with women with chronic illness, optimize their digestion. Very often when you go to somebody who says that, it's going to involve a pretty extensive list of restriction. So cut this out and cut this out and then we'll try this, but then cut that. And besides for that, you know, if you actually do need to change something about your diet because it's harmful to your body in whatever particular way, She looks at it as, okay, what can we add in as opposed to what to take away? But Gianna understands that it's not so much, well, it's not that it's so much about the food, but that when somebody has a chronic illness, there is so much that has to do with your immune health, your mental health, and that sadly, very often people struggle with eating disorders or some form of disordered eating because there's tons and tons of information out there that says, oh, well, you're doing this wrong, cut this out, take out gluten, take out dairy and all these things. And her goal is for you to just expand your quality of life. So it's not so much about take this away and you're doing this wrong. It's more so let's expand how you're doing things, which I love. What a breath of fresh air. Now, I do want to add that if you are in the throes of your eating disorder and you struggle with chronic illness, that there are some specific suggestions that Gianna suggests. And I think that it would probably be a good idea for you to work much more closely with an individual dietitian, somebody who specializes in eating disorders and gut health and chronic illness so that you can do what's best for you. And that some of the suggestions that she says might not apply to you. So just take it with a grain of salt. This is from her experience and some of the things that have worked for her personally and for her in her practice. So again, just sort of take all of this with a grain of salt and see what works for you. Gianna has tons of information that's entertaining and also informative on Instagram. That's Glow Up Nutritionist. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And she has a new program out, the Gut Restore program. And I'll also put a link to that in the show notes, but you know, basically doing what she does. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. 
Welcome, Gigi. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Well, first of all, do I refer to you as Gigi, Gianna? Who are you? Yeah, I know. I go by both. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis because I go by both Gigi and Gianna, but you're more than welcome to call me Gigi. It's more casual. Cool. cool. Well, Mm -hmm. welcome. I'm excited to do this. Especially we had an episode recently on chronic illness and recovery or just like healing your relationship with food. And it was a wonderful conversation and it also opened up so many more questions. So I'm glad that we're doing this gut health, just like sort of subsection, which is obviously not a subset. I mean, it is a subsection, but it's a huge, huge subsection. (laughs) So it's connected to so much. So it's hard to even put it in its own category. So totally understand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so maybe just to start off, when we talk about gut health, what does that even mean? So such a good question. So when we're talking about gut health, we're actually talking about microbes that live within your digestive tract. You can actually consider it almost like a city. There are going to be multiple cities within your body. Things like your mouth has a microbiome, your ears have a microbiome. But when we're talking about the gut microbiome, this is going to be like the largest city. So you can think of it as like a New York city that lives within your digestive tract that can influence your overall health directly or indirectly. Okay. So there's this little city in my gut that's like sort of dictating my health. What is its function? Yeah, gosh, there are a few different functions, but when we're talking about just simplicity, it's going to interact mainly with your immune system and your digestive system. And it really allows for your body to really understand one, what foods are going to be absorbed into your body and what's kind of going on in your digestive tract. I guess just sort of between you and me, the question is, what does this information actually mean? If I know nothing, which I don't really know much about it right now. If I know nothing, when I, when someone says microbiome, I'm like, I don't know what that is. So when we talk about our gut health, the microbiomes, the city, what is it in charge of? What does it do? What does it help with? Or what's like, why do we even have it? So there are many functions of your gut health, but we're going to focus on one, which is going to be your digestion. And your gut health is essentially very important for how your body not only breaks down the food, it also absorbs the nutrients within your food. So your body's actually getting nourished by the food that you're eating. And this can influence various areas of your health, like immune system, your mental health, and even your hormone health. In essence, what your gut is doing, all these microbiomes in this big city living internally, is how your digestive system works, how it's absorbing whatever you're eating, and then how it affects the rest of your body, basically everything in your body. Exactly. It's essentially uh, tag teamed with your digestion and it directly influences essentially how you're absorbing these nutrients within the food that you're eating and how your body's responding to those nutrients. So maybe just to clarify, can you share what are some potential gut issues that people might be struggling with when we say, you know, gut health or gut issues? Like what are some examples? Yeah, that's such a good question. So there are a few different symptoms that can be red flags that your gut health is imbalanced or needs support. Some of these things can be 
chronic bloating. So if you're experiencing bloating a few times a week and it's to the point where it's like noticeable or painful, those are usually red flags. Poop problems. So lots of women don't like to talk about it. It's okay, but we can actually get so much information from how we go to the bathroom. If you are experiencing constipation or diarrhea, or if you're going to the bathroom and you feel like there's still stool within you, like you're not having complete bowel movements, these can be red flags as well. And then also things like acid reflux, gas, and potentially even like burning, right? Like that acid reflux after you have a meal. So these are all going to be digestive related issues, but they can honestly continue on to even fatigue and chronic illness eventually. Wow. So you're saying if somebody is reaching for Tums more often than not, maybe there's something going on. Absolutely. This is definitely an indication that not that your body's broken, but that your digestion needs some TLC and your body will speak symptoms. A lot of the timing, like, Hey, we need some support here. A lot of the times you're like, we don't want to deal with it. Right. (laughs) But this can be an indication that, Hey, there are shifts that need to be taken so that you can have more satisfaction and comfort after a meal. Yeah. I love how you put it. Your body, your gut health might need a little bit more TLC because so often when I hear somebody is struggling with either IBS or some form of gut issues and they experience some form of disordered eating that it just like sort of clashes. Either you have to make peace with food and food freedom and eat everything and intuitive eating and all these wonderful things, but addressing any sort of gut issues that might be connected with specific foods and potentially either eliminating them or something is just sort of like a no-no in the eating disorder recovery world. So maybe let's start to tackle that because it's so, so tricky. And yet if somebody has a gut issue, we can't ignore it. 100%. This is a major crossroads when it comes to the intuitive eating practices and the gut health industry is that there is a huge amount of the population that experiences gut issues. They have this level of food anxiety or disordered eating with food. I personally experienced that also. I'm a part of that population. And it's totally understandable because for years, you're essentially eating something that is causing pain, discomfort, and honestly, anxiety. So if you're eating meals three times a day, and there's this uncertainty that essentially uncertainty on how this meal is going to interact with your body, right? And oftentimes it's a negative experience that's going to naturally occur. Your body and your brain is going to be like, oh, we need to be careful around this, right? So your brain is trying to protect you with the very thing that it needs to be nourished. And this is why so, so many people who have IBS or underlying gut issues, or in my case, I had an autoimmune condition and was experiencing stomach issues. And little did I realize that I was having these IBS symptoms for decades, but I, in reality, I thought it was my problem. And it's because again, you are eating and you're having this negative experience with the meals that you're eating. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is obviously a generalization, but I think that something that happens within the eating disorder treatment world is that when anybody has eliminated a food group, 
whatever it might be, gluten, dairy, et cetera, and they don't have a specific allergy to it, then it's considered like not really okay. So if someone says I'm gluten-free, you know, the response normally is really, but like that's disordered. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I think that it's just jumping to conclusions before asking questions. You know, so there's definitely a question of where on the continuum does that lie? And how does this person react to, let's say, gluten or dairy? Definitely. I, that's such an important point. And this is the very reason why personalized nutrition and a personalized approach with gut health, I think is absolutely crucial because the major myth in the gut health space is that like, you have to eliminate foods to restore your gut health. And this is simply not true. In fact, there was a study done in 2018 that compared people's gut microbiomes and the people who had the healthiest and most vibrant gut microbiomes, which by the way, is based on the diversity, right? So you want a diverse amount of bacteria that are all living in peace, essentially. And this is done by not food elimination, but by diet diversity. So you're essentially eating a vibrant, colorful diet that is going to be just a variety of different foods. So yeah, so um, diet diversity is actually going to be what matters most when it comes to, to nourishing your gut, which means that food elimination doesn't have to be a part of the conversation if that's most protective for the person. So let's put that on hold just for a second. We'll talk about like specific tips, et cetera, maybe in a little bit. But first of all, what is your understanding of why somebody would develop some sort of eating disorder or disordered eating, you know, sort of as a result of their gut issues? Like, why does that happen? There's a few different things on why it could happen. There's the reward chemical component. So like, let's say for example, when you eat like chocolate cake or when it's on your birthday and you have pizza and you're, there's so much enjoyment with pizza, right? There's a neurotransmitter response that comes with that. You have a dopamine hit, there's that response. And then you feel relaxed, satisfied, happy. Your gut microbiome produces, I think 86% of the precursors for dopamine. So there's this fundamental biological component where if you have gut issues and these bacteria that are producing these precursors aren't there, there could be less dopamine. So when you're eating foods, not only are you getting less of a reward mentally, you're also getting these triggers, these symptoms that are causing pain. So this is quite literally a, a mind-body experience that is causing a ripple effect in the wrong direction, right? So there's that component. There's also the component of the fact that there is an emotional relationship we have with food. Just like we have emotional relationships in life, food is going to be one of those pivotal relationships that we have. And if there is uncertainty around that relationship, if there is betrayal around that relationship, you're just going to have almost trust issues. And that is how this ripple effect is created. It's just because this body betrayal starts to happen. It doesn't have to be this way. 
the good news is, is there's a way that you can regain trust in your body through optimizing your digestion. For many people though, that's not the case for at least in those beginning stages, because these symptoms can be so painful, debilitating, and honestly exhausting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm thinking about, first of all, before you have any answers and questions answered, not to know how your body's going to respond to a meal or a snack is, I mean, that's just chaotic and overwhelming anxiety producing just to eat. And then if you know that you have an insensitivity or whatever you want to, whatever the word is to a food group, then and let's just say it's gluten. I mean, gluten is everywhere. So then what do you do? And then there's so much anxiety around that. And boom, you all of a sudden have disordered eating. (laughs) It's almost like putting gas in a fire. You pointed out something so pivotal that just in case someone didn't hear that, I want them to just see that it's like, there's this anxiety around food that's happening on a personal level. And then on the marketing level, right. And then like Hollywood and all this stuff, especially for millennial women with like low rise skinny jeans, there's all this influence of like eliminating carbs or eliminating gluten or eliminating dairy and doing this X, Y, and Z. And it's just an amplifier and it can be so, so destructive for how we see food and how we see ourselves. Yeah. I'm curious what your take is, you know, if you have more information about the idea that many people say that eliminating whatever food group it is, is just quote placebo effect that you feel better after you've eliminated. I'm just going to like pick on gluten and dairy again, because they're just like the easy ones to pick on and you feel better because it's like placebo. So it is there, does that happen for some people? And if not, what is going on? Such a good question. So when it comes to the placebo effect, I feel like when it comes to food intolerance, gosh, we don't really have any biological markers to tell us how a food intolerance is really affecting the gut or digestion in general. All we know is like, is there inflammation, right? And we can get that from a stool test. So if somebody was, let's say, eliminated dairy, what I usually do is we reintroduce it back in for at least a little bit of time. That eliminates this placebo-like reality where if somebody's really quick to be like, oh, I need to eliminate to restore, right? Which is a myth. You don't have to do that. That allows us to see, oh, are you feeling worse when we reintroduce that food back into your diet? How do you feel? How are you energetically wise, mood wise, bowel movement wise, physically wise? And we reintroduce it in for at least four to five days. And this allows us to see one is if the person thrives without this specific food or not. And then they get to make that decision. So it's placebo, there's going to be a lot of people who just feel healthier when they remove things out of the diet. And that's where it's almost like, I would just say it's a mindset shift. I think that everything is possible with the placebo. And I think that honestly, at the end of the day, there's no way to avoid placebo unless we're in a controlled study. So as like, (laughs) as professionals, we just have to almost tune into what the client is experiencing, what the relationship with food is and try to use this methods as much as possible to make sure, hey, are we making the right changes for the care and nourishment of their body and quality of life? 
Because I think often, and this is a fine line for me and my work, and I'm not a dietitian, so I don't actually do the intricacies of this. But when somebody comes in and says, I am off gluten because I have digestive issues and this is what happens to me when I have gluten, you know, there is a question in my mind while I believe everything that someone tells me in the back of my mind is I wonder if there is any percentage of this, even if it's a small percentage, that it feels safer to be off gluten, in which case are we feeding the eating disorder by continuing to stay off gluten? Now, again, using gluten as an example, if it's something where it's a combination and and the body actually has a reaction, but it's also a little bit safer to do it that way, then it becomes so tricky. So what do we do about that? I would say it depends on the client and their reactions, to be honest. It's so difficult to make a blanket statement on that because there's two examples that come to mind. One is this common like storyline of like people going to Europe, right? And being able to eat like pasta and sandwiches and all these different foods that contain gluten in Europe, but they can't in the United States, right? And there's all these responses, but one of those major responses is that, that, oh, you're more relaxed, you're on vacation, right? So if you're more relaxed, your body's going to digest better, you're going to have more energy to digest, and therefore that's why you're not so reactive to this specific food. Another component is the gluten ratio, right? So it's like, oh, well, Italy uses a different type of wheat that has a lower percentage of gluten. And so you could be within the tolerance so that you can eat these foods and not be so reactive or not reactive at all. So there's always going to be both of those responses, aka gluten is not the problem. It's really your experience with the food versus it's the food that is triggering these symptoms, right? And I'm going to actually kind of split the two with being like, so food intolerance, a lot of people are like, okay, I have to eliminate this food so that I can heal. When reality, I almost want you to see these food intolerances, it's it's almost like working out. So it's like movement, right? Whether you're doing a walk or going to CrossFit, right? These are both considered exercise, right? But if you go to a CrossFit competition and you've been walking, right? You can't expect to essentially compete in the CrossFit competition and feel like great after. It might sound good in theory, but honestly, you might harm yourself. You might actually injure yourself while doing this, right? This is the same with digestion. So your digestion has to grow. Your digestion has to get stronger over time. And so these food intolerances are a lot of the time seen as like a root cause approach. So it's like, oh, if we eliminate this, this, and this, you're going to be healed. And that's not the case. In reality, there's this opportunity for your digestion to get stronger over time. So that even if let's say you are reactive to gluten right now, there may be a way that a year from now, if you focus on optimizing your gut health and your digestion, you can have gluten a part of your diet and have peace and satisfaction after. So there really is so many different components to look at this. I think there are a lot of people who have opinions about whether or not it's super, super relevant. I can confidently say that at the end of the day, regardless of which one it is, if you optimize your digestion, you can have more clarity on which one that is for you. And you can actually have more freedom with your food at the end of the day. In terms of actually approaching 
this. And and I do understand that everyone is wildly different. So just sort of with that caveat, what would be your approach? Like where to start? Like what? Okay. So I have gut issues. I have this like crazy bloating all the time. Like, what do we do? How do we figure that out? Such a good question. And if you're specifically somebody who's experiencing disordered eating and you have a really tense relationship with food, I would start by adding flavor or optimizing meals that you already love. The meals that you have peace of mind with, the meals that you enjoy, try adding different spices. There is so much nourishment. Spices are so underrated in my opinion. Things like paprika or cumin or turmeric or rosemary. Try adding flavors like that into meals. See if they work. If you're sensitive to these type of seasonings, mixing them together so that they have more of a blend taste. You can also add different veggies or different foods that optimize a meal. For example, let's say if you have, we're going to go with, let's say we were talking about pizza before. So, and everyone loves pizza. So let's say if you have pizza, right? You can add, for example, garlic or peppers or mushrooms on the pizza, right? You're not changing anything inherently. You're actually adding flavor and nourishment onto the pizza. Or you can add like red pepper flakes, right? Red pepper flakes are going to have nourishment. I can't think of the nutrients offhand right now, which make it, that's so unfortunate, but there are. And, <laughs> and that's going to essentially increase the nutrient density. So that's small steps lead to big breakthroughs. And I want to encourage you that this is really how you can start building momentum. That's in alignment with your intuitive eating journey, but also has your gut health and digestion in mind. Yeah. Can I ask what the beginning of your journey was like? Cause it almost sounds like really wild. If I add turmeric, then I'm going to feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of different chapters of my healing journey and it all really started, I would say the downturn really started my senior year of high school where I was experiencing my first noticeable symptoms of like bloating, gas, distension. And I mean, it was like, I would eat, you know, some, anything. And I would, I would look like I was six months pregnant. It was noticeable. It was uncomfortable. Ironically enough though, it was right after I probably went on the strictest diet strictest diet, excuse me, that I've ever been on. I mean, I was probably functionally anorexic. I was eating about a thousand calories a day, virtually no carbohydrates. It was the, honestly, the worst diet I've ever followed and committed to. And so there's one specific memory I had where I was like six months in and there were these cookies and had, I couldn't stop eating them. I like blacked out on the cookies. I had one, I had like five after, because my brain was like, yes, carbohydrates, we need this. Come on, like, let's just get more of these carbohydrates in our system. And I felt bloated for the remainder of that weekend. And that's kind of what started this. And so fast forward four years later, I essentially... Again, I had an autoimmune condition that was like the major concern for my overall well being. And it was getting worse. And I had this lightning moment that really changed the trajectory of my life, both in a personal sense and a professional sense. So I started 
adding nourishment into my life because I was a college student. I didn't have a lot of money and those were the only options I had, but I had to take action in some way, somehow. So I started off with spices and I started off with superfoods, things like spirulina, chlorella, macaroot, diatomaceous earth. These things sound very, they have very funky names. I have no Um, idea what any of that is. (laughs) Yeah. And, And superfoods tend to have a bad rep because supplement companies take advantage of them. And so definitely that's a whole conversation itself about superfoods and doing it in a mindful way. But my goal was to add in nourishment as much as possible. Well, let me pause you for a second. Did you sort of like deliberately choose these? Like, how did you know to add this in? That's a great question. So there it was a twofold. I had like a very spiritual experience when this all happened and went down. So I, I felt like this was like an intuitive, like, okay, grab this and grab this. And then like, I started researching and I was like, okay, this is rosemary has this benefit. I like rosemary. Let's add this in. You know, it's like, Black pepper has this. Oh, I like black pepper. Let's add this. Or cayenne pepper has these benefits. Oh, I enjoy cayenne pepper. Let's add this, right? So it was very basic Googling, things like that. After this intuitive sense of, ooh, let's let's look into this. And then I serendipitously found a like an herbalist, probably the most hippie person that I've ever met to this day. She was in her 60s. And then she started teaching me a little bit more about superfoods and how to add them into the diet in a way that's easy. And again, cause I was this college student living in a very small, small student apartment and just threw it in a smoothie and then had things like seasoning my chicken patty and making potatoes and putting more seasoning on potatoes or making dips and putting like cayenne pepper into a taco dip that I wouldn't have put it in. It was very simple and basic to the point where I felt like I was making changes, but I was enjoying the change. I was enjoying the creativity and that allowed for sustainability because I was truly enjoying it. Yeah. And I love the idea of seasoning in general, a seasoning and b adding, because we're not talking about you can't eat this, you can't eat that. We're talking about why don't you just add to what you're already doing? And the seasoning is what seems like a simple way to change things up. And when people talk about like, I only like chicken fried and takeout and all that stuff. And I would never like a grilled piece of chicken. But if you add seasoning, then you might like it prepared another way. You might still like the fried version better, I don't know, but it's the kind of thing where I think when I was talking to Elise Rush, I was just like how some people are like, I'm never going to want this food. If I listen to my body, I'm only going to want like chips and stuff all day. And she's like, well, then learn how to cook chicken and put some seasoning on it. And you will be surprised by how fun food can get. Absolutely. I find that half of the battle is knowing how to cook the food and feeling comfortable with cooking it. And how many times I've like convinced my husband to dry a vegetable like zucchini. And he's like, I hate zucchini. It is so gross. And you roast it to the point where it's like almost like charred. He's like, this is great. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing how when you roast a potato or you roast a squash or a zucchini, you actually can transform how it tastes and how you experience it. And that can start with seasoning things better. It really, really can. Half of the battle is knowing what flavors that you enjoy, 
trying different flavors and seeing what elements you can bring to a plate that is not only nourishing, but enjoyable. Yeah. Maybe on the flip side, and do you want to make sure that this isn't triggering for anybody? So perhaps we can just sort of like see how this part goes. What are some of the major foods, either specific or groups that you find people with either IBS or any form of gut issues are particularly sensitive to? It's a great question. I do find that a lot of people are sensitive to gluten. Not everybody is sensitive to gluten, but I do find that that's a common one. Surprisingly, cheese. So people are more tolerable to dairy, but cheese seems to be more common than dairy in general. We try to limit that to a specific food group to see if that makes a difference because fat is going to be, or cheese is going to have more fat in it. So it's going to be a little bit harder to break down in comparison to like, you know, let's say Greek yogurt, because that's going to be lower in fat. I also find that a lot of people have malabsorption with fat. So they're not absorbing fat within their food. There's more, essentially there's like, if you can see like your digestive system as like a one-way highway, right? There's like traffic because it's not absorbing. There's like nutrients missing their exit, but there are no detours or U-turns. So they're just kind of like hanging in there until the major exit into the toilet. So I find that fat absorption is going to be connected to a lot of different food intolerances. I would say the other one, there's like a tie. Honestly, I'm going to say like FODMAPs are pretty common. So foods that are 10 that just need a little bit more digestive fire. Um, these are foods that are higher in fiber, right? They need more to break down and they just tend to trigger symptoms that with people who have sluggish digestion. And it's kind of like the analogy that I gave earlier about, you know, CrossFit competition. Like you just need to build up that endurance with your digestion. But there are some times where there's like this uncertainty of what exactly is going on here? What food is this? Right. And it's really just foods that are higher in fiber, which is a like a caveat because they're like, oh, eat more fiber. Right. But if your digestion can't handle that fiber, you're going to have those symptoms. So that's why it's so important. And if you're like, what's the difference between like gut health and digestion? It's like optimizing your digestion first so that your gut health has that space to really regulate and restore and heal. That's kind of how that domino effect goes. We're talking about them in the same, but when we're talking about point A, we're going to be talking about that digestion first. Yeah. So maybe just to clarify a couple of things that you're saying that are going to be really important for somebody is... Well, probably working with someone individually so that they have individualized care and they can get stool samples and all that stuff. And then to start adding instead of eliminating and the adding, again, they can work with that individual provider to see what makes sense for them. And then something that you had mentioned briefly, maybe you can talk a little bit more about this is being a little bit more mindful. Can you say like a little bit more on that, what you mean by being more mindful? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're... I consider your brain as a digestive organ, honestly. It is so intricately connected to how your body digests and absorbs food. So consider it this way. And I, I'm like an analogy queen. So hopefully these analogies are hitting. I love it. No, they make so much sense. I'm a visual person, so it really helps. <laughs> perfect, 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 perfect. So if you are, have you ever been a fan of like the Discovery Channel when you're like watching giraffes or zebras? 
in the safari like eating, right? And anytime they feel like they are in danger in some kind, they pop their head up, they stop eating, they pop their head up, they look around and not until they feel safe, they put their head back down to drink or eat or whatever they're doing, right? This is the same with your brain. Your brain only has two modes and it can only be in one of these two modes at any given time. So it's going to be rest and digest or fight or flight. And what I explain to clients a lot of the time is that your brain sometimes sees these two modes as rest and digest as I'm safe or fight or flight as I'm potentially not safe, right? And your brain will put most of its energy and focus on digestion only when it feels safe, which means there can actually be a way that we can optimize brain health and digestive health simultaneously. And when we do that, it's actually going to be in most effective. So when we bring in this mindfulness of simply breathing before eating or having meal hygiene, and when I say that, it's almost like taking your full lunch break or going, not eating at your desk, like eating, you know, in the lunchroom or eating in your kitchen, right? Or if you're eating, if you're feeding your son or daughter and, and you're playing and there's like this relaxation that is incorporated within your mealtime, this actually allows your body to digest food better. And it allows you to not only digest food better, but allows you to actually restore your relationship with food because while you're consuming it, you're activating this brain mode of safety. And so this is how, when we incorporate both brain and gut health together, because they're pretty much like a power couple. They're like besties who talk all the time. And when we incorporate this in, it really can do wonders for digestive health and brain health. Yeah. And I love that your approach is, okay, there are lots of things that you can do to restore your gut health and your digestion. It's also really important to focus on your relationship with food and make sure that this isn't restrictive. It doesn't feel restrictive or that it doesn't spiral into some sort of disordered eating or eating disorder. And putting that all together is this approach that I think we often lack the nuance in this approach that it's like, there can be these really real reactions that your body's having to foods and incorporating every single food type into your diet might not actually work for you as an individual. It might, but it might not. And we have to work with you as an individual to figure that out. 100%. And that is something that I preach to all of my clients. I try to encourage them to advocate for themselves in that way because what is going to be most sustainable for them is going to be what allows them to really have a good relationship with food, regardless of if they have to eliminate something out or not. And we always start with, we don't have to, we don't have to eliminate anything until honestly, the client is like, Hey, we'll do like, we talk through, I have something called like the E2P2 method, which allows you to kind of like really be mindful after a meal. And then we talk about it and you get to actually be more in alignment with your body. And when you're more in alignment with your body, you get to feel again, oh, there was something about this meal that I really loved. I feel really satisfied, relaxed, energized. I have a lot of peace of mind. And then there's some times where you're like, oh, there's something about this meal that was off. And then we dive into that, right? And it's all within the client's control. And if they say, hey, I really think that gluten is an issue here. And we're like, great. Okay, let's dive into that, right? There, I'm not 
I'm, I'm not a uh, practitioner who's going to be like, okay, we're starting to working together. Here's the full blown elimination diet. Get ready for a miserable time. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not it. That's not sustainable. Um, I've been there. It's, it's just not. And there are just other methods out there. There's so many resources that we can tap into other, other avenues that are going to be supportive, supportive, excuse me, for you and for where you want to go. Yeah. And just to clarify, before we wrap up this, we are talking specifically to people who have gut health issues and that's it. Yes. (laughs) So talking to, yes, we're talking to people who are experiencing gut health issues or any kind of like chronic issue. And then they're experiencing gut health issues in addition to that. And you'll know, yeah. it's yeah. like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is me. It's not like, oh, is this me? It's like, this is me. <laughs> right. So it's, if it's not, this is me, then it's not you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I do love, I love your suggestions, even if somebody doesn't struggle with this. Before I let you go, first of all, thank you so much. And I can talk to you for hours, obviously. But before I let you go, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me at uh, Glow Up Nutritionist on Instagram and on TikTok. And I think that's pretty much it for right now. A website is coming soon. We're, we're in construction of that. But social media, Instagram and TikTok for Glow Up Nutritionist. Awesome. And if you're looking for any more analogy queen stuff, it's all there. <laughs> yes. Oh, I go, if you love analogies, that's usually what my content speaks to. So definitely give it a follow. And if you have any questions, let me know. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Of course. Thank you. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.